Welcome back to the Goal Set Mindset Podcast. On today's episode, I am joined by Kirsten McCartney to discuss functional fitness for the adaptive athlete. Kirsten is a physical therapist, coach, and fitness enthusiast who believes in the power of fitness as a vessel to help people find their true potential. She has devoted her life's work to bringing fitness to individuals with physical impairments as a result of things like stroke, spinal cord injuries, or amputation. Kirsten is the co-founder of Arena Adaptive, a group fitness program in Wilmington, Delaware, designed to bring functional fitness to adaptive athletes. Kirsten and I discuss how she creates fitness programs for people of all abilities, why fitness serves as a catalyst for improving confidence, and her current pursuits as a PhD student. Kirsten is extremely passionate about what she does, and I know you'll love this listen. Enjoy my conversation with Kirsten. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Kirsten, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. So excited to have you on today and reconnect with you after, um, you know, copping a couple workouts in Delaware. So, so grateful I got the chance to meet you down there and uh, that we're reconnecting today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited. Of course. So I'd love if we can just jump right in with um, you telling the listeners a little bit about who you are and what you do. Yeah, sure. So hey, everyone. Uh, my name is Kirsten. I'm currently a physical therapist. I live in uh, Delaware. I'm also a PhD student at the University of Delaware. Um, I am currently studying high intensity exercise in people with chronic stroke. And I'm really interested in kind of the connecting point where we can use research to better physical therapy inter- physical therapy interventions and community opportunities um, for exercise, fitness, and sport for people with um, physical disabilities. So that's kind of my jam. And uh, I guess a little background myself. I grew up uh, in New York, just north of New York City. Um, And I was an athlete the whole time growing up. My mom kind of says that I came out running and I never stopped. So I kind of played a bunch of different sports growing up. So moving around and fitness has kind of always been my jam. And then Um, I went to Ohio state for undergrad, studied biology. And then from there, um, I moved to Chicago and I lived in Chicago for five years, got my master's in exercise science, um, thought about PhD, but really kind of missed the clinical aspect of it and working closer with people. And so kind of left that worked a bunch of different jobs that I'm sure we'll get, get into at some point. And, uh, kind of my experiences in Chicago led me to, um, the desire to pursue physical therapy and my PhD. And that brought me to the university of Delaware and here I am. So yeah, just a little bit about me. Nice. Yeah. Hearing all the places that you've been, I definitely have a question in my head of like, how'd you end up in Delaware? Now it makes sense. But, um, Lindsay Huey and I joke all the time. Cause she says how a lot of her colleagues, like, ask her like, why, why do you like Delaware? Like, does, like, does anybody even know where that is? And it seems like such a random place on the map, but, uh, I'm glad it's, it's become a nice little home for you. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. The, I mean, the physical therapy program here, but really my PhD mentor, uh, Darcy Reisman, that was kind of signed, sealed, delivered when she said I could work in her lab. Um, that was the mentor I wanted and kind of sought it out and, and was lucky enough to kind of have the opportunity. And so, yeah, so came here for her. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. And uh, Kirsten and I got the chance to meet when I decided to dabble in CrossFit a little bit when I was living in Wilmington, Delaware, and um, got to join the gym. And actually, Kirsten, the first time I stepped into Riv Athletics, first time in CrossFit, was when you had your last adaptive athlete class for that session. 
And, uh, you know, I walked in, I met Mark at the front desk and I mentioned I'm a physical therapy student in the area for a short time. And right off the bat, he goes, oh, I got somebody I got to introduce you to. And that you were literally like the first person I said hello to. And it made a huge impact on me just like feeling comfortable there and kind of joining into the community. So thank you for that. And it's oh, yeah. cool how full circle things can come. Yeah, it was. I remember I feel like I do remember that moment because I feel like I was with an athlete walking out and then Mark was like, oh, I got another. And he was like, these are a bunch of PTs. And I was like, I felt like it was like the two conversations. I was like, oh, I want to like, say bye to my athlete. And then I was like, Hey, welcome. Like, but yeah, I mean, that's like, that's, what's fun for me is like, it's all about community wherever you are. So yeah, I'm so yeah. happy you were able to drop in and work out with us for a little bit. Yeah. 100%. It was awesome. And um, so to kind of dive into our topic today, I love seeing from afar, the work that you do with adaptive athletes and just this passion that you cultivated for yourself of working with um, quite a diverse population. It seems like based on your PhD and some other things you're doing, but if we can kind of just get started with you defining like who the term adaptive athletes refers to. Yeah. Um, I have this discussion sometimes with, uh, with, uh, different colleagues of mine and, you know, on one hand, uh, there is an argument that we're all adaptive athletes, right? So in one way or another, we're all adapting at some point when we're working out kind of regardless of what our sport is, but, um, without getting too like theoretical on it, Adaptive athletes is, is typically referring to people who have some sort of um, physical or visual impairment or intellectual impairment. And so this can kind of range from people who have limb loss or limb deficiency, spinal cord injury, any number of neuromuscular conditions such as muscular dystrophy or MS, Parkinson's disease, stroke. Um, it can also be obviously people who are, are blind or people who, um, have vision loss, who are deaf, um, any number of intellectual disabilities. So that's, um, I think a little bit more of where kind of the adaptive athlete comes from the, the, uh, label there. And, um, the other part of it is when we talk about adaptive sport, um, adaptive sports are adapted to allow people with these type of, um, impairments to be able to compete in sport. And so, for example, there's, you know, some sports that look very similar. Um, so wheelchair basketball looks similar in some ways to, um, wait, wheelchair basketball looks very similar to basketball, but if you go to play wheelchair basketball, I can guarantee you're going to be playing, um, what almost feels like a much different sport just based on, you know, you're pushing around in a chair. That's a whole different thing than running up and down the court. So kind of getting up and down the court is different. But yeah, there's all different types of adaptive sports out there and adaptive CrossFit is kind of um, newer in the more like formal sense of it, but um, it's, it's CrossFit in its essence. So it's functional fitness and you adapt the movements to kind of fit the different um, types of impairments that people might have. Nice. Yeah, that's awesome. And it's true. It really is such a diverse um, framework, like what, what falls into that category of adaptive and even thinking from a physical therapy standpoint, like my whole goal as a physical therapist is to be able to adapt activities for people to do them, whether that be because of, um, you know, a permanent type of impairment or some kind of neurological deficit, but it's true. It's like every time we step in the gym or every time we progress in something like we're adapting to something else going on. So I really like that. Honestly, I really like that outlook. And, um, that being said, you know, fitness for me is something that is such a core value that has really pushed me forward on my journey. And I know for so many people, it's so potent to um, just empowering people. So it's so cool that you focus around 
creating that opportunity for fitness for people who maybe who might walk into a regular gym and not be able to access, you know, some of those equipment. But I would love if you can just kind of take a step back and tell me like, how did you become introduced to working with this population and becoming so passionate about it? Yeah. Um, I love this question because it's kind of twofold for me. And there's like the one half of it makes it feel like, duh, she was going to do this her whole life. And the other part of it is like, it really didn't come until later. Um, and so when I, um, when I was five, my best friend's dad was in a car accident and sustained a spinal cord injury. And we actually met the next month. Um, but our dads had grown up in the same town hometown. And so like my family, like aunts and uncles and everyone like know a lot of her aunts and uncles. And so my whole life I grew up and, um, Pete used a wheelchair and he used lobster and crutches to kind of get around, but I never saw or perceived Pete as having any type of limitations. Um, I've gotten older and I've obviously like recognized societal and environmental things that obviously, you know, could have been limitations for Pete. And we've had some pretty super interesting discussions, but Pete played wheelchair basketball for the New York Knicks. And like, we got to go watch him play at Madison Square Garden and he traveled the country and he played wheelchair tennis and wheelchair basket, you know, wheelchair basketball, wheelchair tennis, wheelchair softball, um, and was super fit, you know, like did construction, you know? And so for me, like, I just never saw Pete as someone who was limited, despite the fact that, you know, he had a spinal cord injury and he did use a wheelchair. He did use crutches and that was different, you know? Um, and so it's really not been until the past, probably five years when I've realized how much that impacted me and like kind of how I approach working with adaptive athletes or people with physical disabilities. Um, I don't see limitations. I, you know, I, I see like, I I like to think it's the same as any other non-disabled person that I might work with, right? Like, what are your goals? What are you willing to kind of put in to achieve those goals? And how can I help you achieve them? How can I kind of be an assist on your, on your path? Um, so that's kind of like the one half of the story, but I didn't like, despite the fact that I, you know, Pete's my personal hero. Like I didn't grow up, like I want to work with this population. I always knew I wanted to go into some sort of kind of like healthcare. And so, I mean, I entered college thinking I was going to apply to medical school and countries and college wasn't as sure on that path. And so that's when I went to go get my master's, ended up applying to medical school, got rejected to all the medical schools I applied to over the course of two years was really kind of a low, big, low moment. Um, it was a tough year, kind of couple of years. Um, but I'm so glad that door didn't open. Like that door was not meant to open for me. And I'm, I'm really glad it didn't now. Um, but that kind of pushed me into, I was working as a personal trainer and I started my own running coaching business and I was teaching fitness classes at a retirement home and at like kind of a general kind of box gym that you might see like high intensity circuit type type workout. So still really in that like health and fitness world, but it was like six different places that I would go kind of work. And then a job opportunity opened up at the Shirley Ryan ability lab, formerly known as the rehab Institute of Chicago. And the job started part-time and I taught fitness classes for people with Parkinson's disease. And it was awesome. I loved it. And then my job really quickly grew from part-time to full-time and I still continue to teach those classes, but most of my time was actually spent one-on-one working with anyone who had any type, any type of like physical disability. And so, um, I was in the adaptive, uh, sport and fitness center, which is a component of the hospital, but it's more of a community-based center. 
it's um, it was $60 a month to for uh, sorry, $60 a year to join the gym. You just had to be on somewhere of the like Paralympic scale. And that for me, like working that job was the like, this is my jam. Like I've always loved sports. I've always loved fitness. I liked programming and stuff, but working with this population for me was like the perfect kind of like crossroads. Like I was like, it's the sport and fitness and it's like neuro, you know, some not neuro, but I was like, that is just like my jam. And um, I loved it. And so that was when I was working with a ton of PTs and would get pulled into the hospital sometimes to work, you know, extra people wanted, you know, more kind of fitness therapy rehab. And everyone thought I was a PT. And I was like, Oh no, I'm not a PT. And then like enough times that said to you and you're like, well, okay, what's the difference between what I'm doing and what they're doing? And then like, you know, talk to different PTs of like, you know, what are you doing? What was school like all that jazz? And, um, kind of in this whole time frame, I went from being hundred percent kind of clinical to 80% clinical, 20% research. Um, I had someone who asked me if I would be their kind of like part-time, uh, lab assistant. And I really kind of stiff armed them for a bit because I just didn't have the best experience with research, um, in my master's. And, you know, I had a colleague of mine who was like, you might want to take Miriam up on her offer. And, you know, I did, and thank goodness I did. Cause that was like the kind of wave crashing of like, I'm definitely going to PT school and, and I want to get a PhD because the ability to think in kind of multiple ways and kind of work to collide those two worlds was like similar to the whole, like sports and neuro. Like I was like, Oh yep. This cross collide. Like that's where I want to be. And so that was really what was like the, this is what I want to pursue. And then in the pursuit of that is when I've more realized, like, the impact of having Pete in my life for so long and like just being a kid and growing up around it. And it's not a thing when you're like, you, it's not a thing. Like, it's just, that's how it is. That's more when I've realized like how much that just was like there in my life. And I was like, yeah, cool. Versus like, there's a lot of people that you'll talk to who have never seen someone who haven't, haven't has an amputation, never seen someone who's in a wheelchair and like just because it's unknown, right? People can become afraid or not sure what to say or what to do. And for me, a lot of that was not present because that was present in my life. And I'm, you know, so yeah, yeah. that's kind of how I wow. where I am. <laughs> what a journey that you've had, Kirsten, and so much to look forward to as well. So many places that you're going to go, but um, a couple of things that just really stood out to me that you mentioned there. I love that you shared that, you know, your initial um, plan was to go to medical school and you tried and you applied and things didn't work out. And at the time, it's so hard to face that rejection and, and face that reality that like, shit, this isn't going to work out how I expected. Um, but when you look back in retrospect, things unfolded, things unfolded beautifully for you, you know? And so I think that for anybody listening, it's just such an inspiring point that like when one door closes, like, go find your other door, you know, that there's something else waiting for you there's somewhere else that you're meant to be. So, so, so special. And um, that experience that you had, you know, when you were young, it's really cool too. And it gives me so much um, hope and excitement for the future. When I think about like how able he was, like you mentioned um, your friend's dad. And from a personal standpoint, I actually babysit for um, a six-year-old boy with a spinal cord injury Um he was five months old and got a virus and was diagnosed with acute flaccid myelitis, which is quite rare, but essentially he's got a few different um, lesions, you know, asymmetrical throughout his body. 
And seeing him grow up with this has been amazing because just watching him progress and just become this little man is awesome. Um, but it's, it's hard knowing that he's getting to the point in his life now where he can think abstractly and understand like, oh, I am different from the other kids. And like, you know, things are hard for me. But by the same token, I'm, I know for a fact that once he reaches that age where he understands motivation and hard work, and he's going to be right up there playing wheelchair basketball and doing all of these things that, um, you know, you've seen kids and, and adults that you work with do such amazing things. So it's something that I, I think about all the time. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty cool. I mean, and that's the thing is like, um, the Bennett Blazers are, um, a really phenomenal, uh, they're actually affiliated with Kennedy Krieger, but they have a ton of adaptive sport, primarily um, youth, but they also have adult um, opportunities as well. And I mean, they have coached like Tatiana McFadden, which is, you know, very well-known Paralympian that a lot of people know. I think she's like, she's 17 or 21, something like that, med- like medalist at the Paralympics. She's won the Boston, London, New York, Tokyo marathons, like, you know, multiple times. She's got her start at the Bennett Blazers. Daniel Romanchuk is like won the Boston Marathon this past year. He's medaled at the Paralympics. Like he got a start at the Bennett Blazers and they have a quote that's, you know, tell someone, tell these kids they can before someone tells them they can't. And, you know, the first time I saw that, I think it was like on the back of a t-shirt, you know, it was like, wow, like that is so powerful. And, you know, it does make a difference, you know, like it giving, you know, there are going to unfortunately be a lot of times that people with physical disabilities are told you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't do this. You can't do that. You'll never do this. You'll never do that. And part of like, um, for me is like, that's, that is never something that I want to give off to anyone, anyone that I work with, whether they're disabled or non-disabled, like, you know, that's who am I to say that? And so, you know, it's like, what can we do to be like, no, you can do that. And sometimes it's a like, okay, like just as I would talk to, a, you know, a non-disabled athlete, right? Like, okay, if you want to run the Boston marathon, this is what it's going to take to do that. Right. Like you can't wake up tomorrow and run it or, and win it. Right. So if someone wanted to be, you know, an adaptive athlete and the Boston Marathon, which they can now do, like, it would be like, all right, like, what is it going to take for you to train for that race? And then we just back it up the same way. So it's not a like, oh, you'll never be able to do that. It's like anything else, right? Like, okay, that's your goal. This is where we are. This is where we want to go. This is what it's going to take to get there. Sometimes that's a month long journey. Um, If we're talking about the Boston Marathon, it's probably not a month long, but like, sometimes it's years, right? Like sometimes it's like, all right, like this is where you are. This is what's going to take to be, or this is what the training progression is likely going to look like. And we're obviously like always checking in and looking at like what that's going to be. Um, you know, I was talking to, uh, a former, I, I mean, I called all my patients, my athletes, uh, when I was in my old job, but I feel the same way and working with obviously different population, but every single patient that I work with, they are going to be an athlete, not a patient. Yeah. So I was like, I was talking to someone that I used to work with, um, you know, last week and, uh, she's, uh, in her mid fifties and she had sustained a stroke. And so now she's, I mean, six, five, six years post stroke. And we were talking and it was like about, you know, she was like, what did we used to do? Like, I was trying to remember this one thing we used to do when we used to work there. And like, 
I mean, for both of us, it was like, oh my gosh, like I've already been in Delaware for four years. So I was like, okay, this is like five years ago. And then she mentioned her cane. And I was like, holy shit, I like forgot you ever used a cane because like she did, like she had a stroke. And when she first came and saw me, like she was using a cane in her activities of daily living. And her goal was to be able to like be on the boat that they had in Lake Michigan. And she wanted to be able to like walk on the beach. Um, they have a lake house and she wants to be able to like walk on the sand. And so we've kept in touch the whole time I've been in Delaware. And it was like, oh my God, you've like just sent me so many videos of you just like walking without an assistive device. I totally forgot that happened. And so like, you know, I have found myself almost more frequently having to say to people like, we can't rush time. Like, I wish I could press fast forward. I know there's some things that you wish you could press, press fast forward, but I like, trust me, like I have seen people progress and sometimes it's, it's, it seems like it's always slower than anybody wants it. But if you put in that work and you put in that effort, it's like the little bits always add up. If you know me, you know, I'm always on the run up early and home late. So having a three hour morning routine isn't really in the cards for me. What is in the cards is AG1. It's a fast way to get vitamins and minerals I need to perform. I first gave AG1 a try because it was, I wanted a single solution that helps support my entire body by filling in nutrient gaps and simplifying my morning routine. Since drinking AG1 daily, I've always felt strong and energized and ready to attack the day. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre- and probiotics, and more, it's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's one scoop, mixed in water, once a day, and every day. I know that AG1 is giving my body high-quality nutrition. Every batch of AG1 goes through a rigorous testing process, so you know that it's safe. And AG1 ingredients are sourced for absorption, potency, and nutrition density. AG1 is a supplement that I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm excited to welcome them as a new partner. Here is your chance to start every day this season with a gift to yourself. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash provengrit. That's drinkag1.com slash provengrit. Check it out. Once again, like that's no different than like conversations that like, I feel like you and I have probably even had, or like, we've probably had them over Instagram in like similar way, you know? And so it, it's just not different. It's just like, yeah, the time course can sometimes be different, but the hard work is the same, you know? And so it's just, again, her goal is like to be able to walk down with this device. Like we did it like awesome. And she did it. You know, I was a small part of her journey, but she did it. So Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. It's so true. I love that you take that outlook that it's like, it's not different. Like it's, it's still the human body. It's still the person who has goals and motivations and prior experiences that are going to influence that. And, but you mentioned that one of your favorite parts of, you know, this job that you do and this purpose that you have um, is programming for these athletes. You love coming up with these ideas and figuring out how to make things work. And so I'd love to just kind of ask like, what kinds of considerations do you take into account when you're developing these training programs? Is it a whole lot different than maybe, you know, a typical strength and conditioning coach or PT? Like, are there other factors that you feel like influence the way that you do things? Um, I always struggle to answer this. I think it's a yes and no question. And so in a lot of ways, like, no, similar things we've already talked about, like, what are your goals? 
what equipment slash like opportunities do you have around you? Like what type of work do you want to put in? You know, how much time in the day do you have that you want to devote to this? What equipment do you have that would help us kind of get to this goal? And, and then leading, and then once you have those things, right, it's all about like the training parameters that we know, right? So like intensity, duration, sets, reps, all that stuff, like that can progress in, in similar ways as it, it may with a non-disabled person. So in all those ways, I'm like, no, it's not. And then I'm like thinking of like a call I had with a colleague today where we were like programming for a class that we're hosting tonight. And it was like kind of these different aspects that we were like playing around with like, okay, how might we might program this? It's in a group context. So there's a little bit more we have to take into account. And so the yes part of it is like, yeah, you do have to consider some things, right? So a lot of times people with CP can do better if they have like more repetitions because they can get the neuro patterning. And so things like shorter sets, like may not be the best. Sometimes it may be what we want to do because we want to do heavier weight or something like that. And I guess I'm right now, I'm generally kind of talking in the context of, of functional fitness. And so, you know, I work with an athlete who it's like, if we have her on the rowing machine for, you know, 30 seconds versus like two minutes, like she looks so much better by the end of that time, because she's kind of had this chance to have this repetitive aspect to it. So that's like one example, right? Another example is like, I've worked with spinal cord injury patients who like don't have full grip, right? So, and, and they may or may not have full triceps. And so that's going to change a lot of what we um, are, how we're going to do things. So we can use assist device, like assisted equipment, like grip gloves to help us like fully more grip the weight or the bar, what it might not like, whatever that might be. But there's also other things we can do, right? So scoot them up on the front of their chair they're going to already be more imbalanced there. And that's like a core work for them. And so I, I don't need any adaptive equipment for that. And so those are more of the examples of like, yeah, you do want to understand like the conditions, right? Muscular dystrophy is a great one, you know, where we can say kind of a blanket statement of like exercise generally for, you know, 99% of people exercise going to be a good thing still good for people with muscle dystrophy. We just have to be careful, right? Because we know what the condition, if you push them too hard, that can actually like lead to detriments where there can be like more breakdown and whatnot. And so it's really just being kind of like cognizant of all these things. Like if you have different conditions where there might be a lot of fatigue associated with it. And so, you know, what comes to mind is something like ALS, you want to be careful, right? And so sometimes that, I think that's what can lead to people kind of like, um, and, you know, physical therapists are, are, um, at fault of doing this, right. Of kind of putting on kid gloves and, and being like, they're too fragile and you can't do it. You know, I'm sure you've done a workout before you like woke up the next day and you're like, I went way too hard. Like I did not do the right thing. And it kind of takes your training away for a couple of days. And you kind of learned like what your limit was. And I'm not saying like push these people to, to the breaking point. Right. Because now we're talking the difference of like, oh, I didn't get a couple good workouts in versus like, I couldn't do the activities in my daily life. But also the, the flip side of that is like, if you never challenge them, you're actually not assisting them at all. So sometimes you kind of have to find that line. But again, you'd have to be cognizant of like, ALS might have these like post-exercise fatigue. And so I need to check in on how did you feel after our workout last week? Were you able to like do everything the next day? Did you have any soreness? Like, so that's kind of my like, yes and no answer um, to your question of like, 
no, a lot of programming stuff stays the same. Yes. Like it's important to understand what may or may not like kind of impact the response of the workout that you give. And I don't have an answer for this yet, but like heart rate's huge right now, right? Like heart rate's a super easy thing for us to track. Intensity matters is a huge, um, kind of, uh, promotion that the American, uh, neurological PT has like ANPT has been putting out. There's like intensity matters and it does. Um, and some of the work that I'm doing right now in my PhD is actually like analyzing a ton of heart rate data and just like we're reading the literature and stuff. Like I'm really starting to dive into like, what are these like percentages that we give out for the general population, right? Which is different than individuals, but how might that differ when someone has a spinal cord injury and therefore has, you know, potentially half or more of muscle mass that's not working in the same sense. And so are you going to have the same cardiovascular response if there's not as much demand because that muscle mass isn't working. So that's getting like super nitty gritty, but like that's, that to me is like the fun stuff to start to tease out so that both therapists and fitness professionals can understand like expected heart rate responses and not just solely take like the recommendations off of, um, what's known for non-disabled individuals, but that's kind of where we are. And so we're like, you know, fun fact, there's definitely people in the field who are like diving into that, but you know, that would be more of like a nuance of programming. But when you think about it, right, like there's nuances to programming able-bodied athletes and there's, there's a time and a place for super specific parameters and, and the general parameter is, is good enough. So, yeah. Yeah. 100%. I agree with you on a lot of that there. And it's, it's cool to think about the research that you're doing and that a lot of people in the profession are doing because, I mean, I'm just getting into physical therapy, like literally in like two days when I pass my board's exam. <laughs> but um, you think about all the progress that's been made in the last decade or 15 years, let's say, in terms of like breaking some of these barriers of understanding that a lot of these individuals are capable of pushing themselves and should do so. Um, but at the same time, there's still so many questions to be answered. And I'm fully confident that people like you and other leaders, you know, in this space um, are going to continue to really unlock a lot of these things. And, but like you said too, like relying on some of the general principles will be fine. Like we don't always need to overcomplicate things, especially for the general person. I think that's something that um, a lot of coaches get criticism for because those of us who like this stuff, we like the numbers and we like to make everything perfect and tweak it. But if there's somebody in front of you, especially somebody who's a novice, like the exact intensity and reps and sets and all of that stuff isn't going to necessarily matter as much as just giving them an empowering platform to do this new thing. Um, and another thing you touched on, Kirsten, that I really love is like, I imagine communication is crucial with this population, um, not only because of these questions that we don't necessarily have answers to. But also because a lot of the people you work with are probably doing things for the first time. You know, I, I would love if you can kind of touch upon, like, how do you work with athletes who maybe have some self-limiting beliefs to overcome or fear of failure, things like that? Um, yeah, I think, um, I don't want to say I've never come across that because I haven't. I'm trying to think of how to phrase, you know, in my old job. It was a community fitness center that was open to anyone, but it was still something that people had to seek out somewhat. And the classes, even though that we're running now, like I am, I am trying to get in contact with any and every person within a pretty broad radius to be like, 
get these people in the gym, please help me like find them. And one of our first athletes, Josh will tell this really funny story that I found Josh. Cause he was like doing like a two mile, I think wheel, like around the neighborhood for exercise. And he passed my house and I was doing a workout in my garage and I literally ran after him. And I was like, hey, I'm curious. I know this is really far, but like my, my friend and I are about to start these adaptive fitness classes. Like, here's my business card. Like, just email me and I'll let you know when we start the classes. So like, anyways, I've like, there is an aspect of the people that I've predominantly worked with, I think have some, like they want to pursue it. There is that little bit there. That doesn't mean I haven't worked with people who have like have a hesitation or self-limiting beliefs. And, you know, it, um, it's, it can be hard. Right. And that I think is one of, it's a blessing of being a physical therapist and kind of a, a coach in the sense of you tend to get a lot of time with people. And so you can really get to know people um, better. Um, and you know, that can be really helpful. And, and so I think it just depends on the athlete themselves. Sometimes they like having discussions. Sometimes they want to talk it out. And sometimes it's a frustration piece. In other times, it can be, uh, I know what maybe they think they can or can't do. And I work to program things to prove, to prove them, like to have them do it so they can prove themselves wrong. And so I think that's like another important piece that like, I've certainly like grown in and, and know that I'm still continuing to grow in and honestly did probably did not do this well when I first started in my old job, but it's like, how can I just be like the one who has the tool belt and like help give my athlete or my patient, like as many tools or the tools that they need so that like when either they're done with their rehab stint with me, or they want to go to the gym and I'm not there. Like, I always want to be able to like remove myself from the situation and have my patients still be able to execute their exercises and my athletes still be able to go to the gym and do what they want to do. And so I never want it to like rest on my shoulders. And so it's certainly something like where you like have to fully take your ego out of the game. Cause like, for example, if I was like in cash-based PT, which I'm not like, that's essentially working to like put yourself out of business always. Cause you're like, well, I'll give you the tools and then you can like use them. And like, yeah, maybe you have to come in for a check-in, but not as frequently. Right. But also like, I am not like, quote, I'm not like a savior. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just like, cool. Like, let me teach you the moves and then let's figure out how to do them. You know what I mean? And so that's more of how I try to approach like the self-limiting things. And then sometimes you have honest conversations with people where like someone says something to them that's like pretty hurtful and, and, you know, it can put people down. And we've all been there before when you've had someone who tells you like, you can't do something. And depending on you know, the whole headspace that you're in, that's going to impact you differently. And so sometimes it's being like, all right, well, like, let's prove them wrong. You know what I mean? Or, or let them cry. And then let's get a good workout in, or we don't work out that day. And that's, that is what, you know, that's what they needed on that day. So, you know, pun intended, but it's all about adapting to kind of what's happening in front of you. (laughs) See, I see what you did there. Um, Yeah, it's so true. And I think that that applies to so many people as well is like, when you're working in honestly, anything in healthcare, whether it's physical therapy or in the fitness space, or even just like somebody who goes to the doctor's office, like you're going to have people who are ready to change, who want the tools, who want to do the work. And then sometimes you're going to get people who just aren't really ready yet. And like being able to meet people where they're at on that spectrum, I think is, is really important, but I love how you take this approach. Like you said, of like putting your ego to the side and making the athlete 
feel like they are in the driver's seat, making them know that they are in the driver's seat. Because I think that's something like as physical therapists, especially, I mean, when we're in school, it's like the narrative is like, we're going to go out and fix people and we're going to go do all these things. And while that's great and like well-intended, the whole goal is for people to fix themselves. Like we are just the guide. We're just the mentor. Um, So I love that approach. And there's no better way to show somebody what they can do than just helping them do it. Like you mentioned, it's so powerful. And that leads me to another thing I wanted to ask you just in, in terms of fitness. I mean, we know that it's so powerful in teaching humans what we are capable of. And that goes for any any individual, regardless of physical ability. Um, but I would love if you can just kind of discuss, like, have you seen this concept unfold with the athletes you work with that you might see just a change in their confidence and their personality from doing fitness? Yeah, I have. I mean, undoubtedly, um, I've, you know, I've had some athletes who have said it to me before and I've, I've had some athletes, you know, family members who have said it to me before. Um, and you know, sometimes I'm lucky enough to see it like firsthand. And then other times it's like, you, you, you see it in the way they like tell you about what they did recently or, you know, a new accomplishment or, or that kind of thing. And, you know, again, it's like, it's, I I like live in that excitement. You know what I mean? Because there can be that period where, you know, to your point, if you have somebody who's self-limiting beliefs or is a little unsure and like, you know, that can sometimes be when, um, I feel like, uh, my presence or someone like in a similar situation of mine can be, you know, that kind of piece of like that belief, right. It's believing in someone, it's seeing potential in someone and it's seeing like, what, what, you know, I can see them doing this. How can I help them see that as well? And it takes time and it goes over time. So yeah, I mean, there is like nothing, there's nothing like that. And that's, that for me is a huge drive. Like for me, fitness, you know, exercise, sport, any of those things that for me is just like the vessel. Right. And so to your point of like, it can really help you grow like in and out of the gym. Like, yes, I want to help people become more like healthy, really. Like I want to help people become more fit, but ultimately it's cause like, I can see, like, I know, even though these are like intangible things that we can't necessarily like quantify from like a, even a research perspective. Right. But like, if I can help someone get a little bit more fit that has a spinal cord injury, do we reduce the risk that they're going to have a bed sore? If we reduce the risk that they have a bed sore, right. That's great from like a component of like, they're not going to need to go back into the healthcare system for that. But also if I can get someone who has a spinal cord injury a little bit more fit, right? And now they have more independence and now they have to rely on others less. Like, how is that going to make, like, that's going to boost anyone's like self, you know, um, just I'm independent, right? Like we all, we all do like that. And, you know, I'm a big team player. I want to lean on people, but there's aspects where like, that's huge when you can do something like that. And so, you know, does, does that confidence that you get from the gym, how does that transcend out of the gym? And again, like, I can't put a marker on that, but that's, that's like, for me is like huge. Like, yeah, let's see in the gym, but it's cause I know then there's stuff that's happening out in the community. That's like bettering the world that I live in and that we all live in together. And like, that's pretty dope. And so like, that's, that's cool to me. Yeah. It's, it's so special. And just the smile on your face and the energy in your voice, like it's, 
it's all the evidence that you need that this stuff is worth doing. And it's, it's hard work. It's hard work for the athletes. It's hard work for those of you who work with them, but it's, it is, it's what it's all about. You know, it's, it's for so much of a greater good than just what's happening for that hour or 30 minutes or whatever the session is. Um, that's awesome. This is, I just love hearing your passion, just like come at me through the computer screen. (laughs) Um, but Kirsten, as we start to kind of wrap things up here, one kind of big question I want to ask you is, I'm sure you've seen there's so many different narratives and stigmas and maybe misconceptions um, about people that have like a physical or some kind of impairment. I would love if you can share if there's like one lesson that you could teach the world about adaptive athletes, adaptive sport, what would it be? Um, we, we, you know, we call them people with, with, with disabilities, but you know, they are really able people. And so they have, you know, different impairments that we do. And, um, you know, it's important that we make sure they have the resources that they need because those needs can be different than non-disabled people, but they are so able and they are so capable of so much, just like we all are. So like, give them that chance. Don't make someone's physical disability or physical impairment like that is not them right that's a piece of them so let it just be a piece of them and learn the rest of their story you know so that's what that's I think that's what I've continued to learn and hope to still learn more stories but learn their story and understand like just how capable they are yeah I love that that's a really really special message and I mean everybody knows somebody with some kind of impairment. That's very obvious, but just being able to take that approach of like, yeah, it's, it doesn't need to be a limitation in their life. There's so much that people can still do. So very cool. Um, and Kirsten, I would love to ask you too, if anybody's listening to this, who is excited by this conversation and maybe is thinking of somebody that they know who might be interested in getting involved in adaptive sport or adaptive fitness, Do you have any like advice or resources um, for somebody getting started in this space? Yeah, um, well, I'm I'm happy to one have anyone reach out to me. So like my social media handles, I'm sure you'll link them to our Run Your Days. Um, Another Move United um, kind of uh, brought together like disabled. It was like Disabled Athletes Foundation is what it used to be called, and then a couple other foundations. So Move United kind of is this like umbrella. And they actually just put on the Move United Junior Nationals, but they kind of are this like hub where you can go onto their website and they have a list of all of the Paralympic um, kind of sport clubs around the country. And so, you know, that can sometimes be dependent on like if someone's interested in a sport, what they're interested in. And then I would say the Adaptive Training Academy um, is a great resource if you're looking for more of like the functional fitness slash CrossFit. Um, I do some contract work for them, but there's people there, you know, again, like we'd be happy to connect you if there's someone in your area. Um, and then there's also like virtual training. Like if anyone's interested in that, like I can also, I can provide those opportunities. I know others who can provide those opportunities. Um, and so, yeah, I think if you're interested in getting involved, but you don't know where to start, then I'm going to take that barrier away and let me be your starting point. And then we'll go from there. Um, but really like if you're in your community and you were thinking about it, like just do a quick search. So move United can be helpful, but just like, see if there's any programs at a YMCA near you, or if there's anything through like the school system. Um, and usually there's a way to kind of like get connected or even just like through your local government, you can reach out there and see. Um, but yeah, like, let me be 
the first resource that you go to if you're interested in kind of getting involved in, in adaptive sport. And I'm happy to kind of help point directions from there. Great. Kirsten, thank you so much for, for being willing to do that and sharing all those resources. I'll definitely um, link all of that in the description of this episode. And I want to just finish up with uh, one final question here for you. So this is a question that all my guests get here on the podcast. And this podcast, the Goal Set Mindset podcast, is centered around pursuing high achievement with the principles of passion, perseverance, and performance. So I would love if you could share with us what a personal goal is that you have right now and how you're working towards it. All right. I'm going to get really nerdy on everyone. (laughs) I love it. Let's hear it. So I'm, uh, I'm really trying to become more proficient in coding. Um, and so, uh, it's just going to make like running through big data sets, which is one I'm working with right now, but two in the future, it, it is just so much simpler if you have a code and can run the iterative process on all the data. So as nerdy as it sounds, I'm really trying to get better at coding in R. So also if anyone listening is good at R and wants to help a girl out, I will take any advice possible. But I'm really, because I know like long-term that and increasing my knowledge in stats, like, you know, science, science speaks, right? Data speaks. And, and so I know if I can bring that kind of piece to the puzzle, I can use that to like kind of just help push rehab interventions and, and community fitness opportunities like available for people with, with, uh, different types of impairments forward. So yeah, I'm getting my coding on. That is very cool. And, um, probably one of the most unique answers I've gotten to that question, but I've never thought about that before that, like, if you truly want to get to the point where you can synthesize research and like fully understand it, um, yeah, you got to be able to break into those data sets. Like that's, that's I mean, out there, girl, can, but good for you. You can do it without coding, but I have already seen the light of like um, when you have code to do it. And if you have to fix something quick or you want to just analyze, sometimes it can be this like quick little change versus honestly, like going in and rerunning the whole data again can take hours. And so you're like, you're really saving yourself time. I'm just like putting in the time now. And I will say it's like, If I get a line of code correct, the dopamine rush is like very, (laughs) probably what's like bringing me back. I can imagine. That is very cool. Thank you for sharing. Um, Well, Kirsten, you already gave your info for how people can reach you. So that is great. Um, Thank you so, so much for coming on the show. This was a really fun conversation. And I think that listeners will get a lot out of this one. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. It was a blast chatting with you today. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Goal Set Mindset Podcast. I hope this conversation with Kirsten helped change your perception about who fitness is really for and left you excited to see the adaptive athlete community grow. If you're enjoying the podcast, I would love if you subscribed on your favorite platform and left a rating or review to help me reach more people like you. Thank you so much for tuning in. And as always, we will be back next week with another episode.